Our gracious God, I ask that today, in these moments, we would allow your truth to set us free. That you have the power to radically change lives, to help people recover, to have chains broken, prison doors opened, and to set us free to be the men and women, the young people you've called us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Today we continue our sermon series called CORE. We are talking about the core values of this ministry at Mount Horeb. Eight core values that have been vetted in Scripture, grounded in God's Word. Last week I preached in here, Jesus first, Jesus always. Prior to that you heard Nick preach a great message on our second core value on earth as it is in heaven. And today, I preach to you something called truth is essential. Now, as we wrote these core values, as we prayed over them over six months, we had seven core values. Seven core values that were vetted in Scripture, very important core values. But the Lord convicted me that one was missing, and we needed to add this one. It was, it was implied in all of our other core values, but we needed to clearly state that we believe truth is essential. Now, here's the definition of truth, uh, of, of our definition of this core value. We believe in truth as revealed by Holy Scripture. The Bible is God's infallible word for authority and guidance and provides light for our lives. Truth is essential. Now, upon hearing about John Gorsuch's untimely death on Friday as I was working through this message. Uh, the Lord laid on my heart that I need to dedicate this message to John because John was a, 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 a standard of truth in our church. He was a regular part of our men's prayer breakfast. He was a dedicated Sunday school teacher that was committed to the truth. He prepared and prepared and prepared and prepared because he wanted to get the truth right. So to Susie and children and grandchildren, um, I am proud that, that John Gorsuch believed in the truth, and he and I were on the same page. And what I appreciate about, appreciate about John was he always was there. He always supported what God was doing in this place. And uh, so I, I'm going to miss John. We look forward to celebrating with you and your family this Thursday as we celebrate John's life lived among us. Truth is essential. You know, that's something we're struggling with today. We live in a world where uh, truth is no longer essential. And maybe you're here today and you're wrestling with truth. Is where, do, where does truth come from? Well, one of my all-time uh, spiritual heroes, and I, I'm, I'm guessing a hero of many people in this room, also wrestled with Truth is essential. It was 1949, and Billy Graham was 30 years old. He was unaware that he was about to become an evangelist who would have a worldwide impact. He was preparing for a breakthrough crusade in Los Angeles, yet he found himself in a spiritual struggle, not over the existence of God or the divinity of Jesus, but over the fundamental issue of whether or not he could trust what the Bible was telling him. In his autobiography, 
Graham said that he felt that he was being pulled on a rack. Pulling him toward God and scripture was a lady by the name of Henrietta Mears, a Christian educator who understood modern scholarship and an abounding confidence in the reliability of scripture. Pulling him the other way was a Graham's closest companion, a preaching colleague, a 33-year-old by the name of Charles Templeton. And this skeptical Templeton told Graham this, Billy, you're 50 years out of date. People no longer accept the Bible as being inspired the way you do. Your faith, Billy Graham, is too simple. Now Graham goes on to report in his autobiography that I was not exactly doubtful, but I was definitely disturbed. And then he knew if he could not trust the Bible, he couldn't go on. And again, this Los Angeles crusade was hanging in the balance. And Billy Graham searched the scriptures for answers. He prayed and he pondered. And finally, in a walk in the San Bernardino Mountains, taking his Bible, Billy Graham dropped to his knees and made this confession that he could not answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions that Templeton and others were raising. He said, then I prayed this prayer, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and my doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. Graham said he got up from his knees, tears in his eyes, and they felt the power of God come over him like he never had before. He said, not all my questions were answered, but a major bridge had been crossed. And in my heart and in my mind, I knew a spiritual battle for my soul had been won. That Los Angeles crusade lasted two months. 350,000 people attended 72 services. 3,000 inquired about receiving Jesus as Savior. And another 3,000 recommitted their life to Christ. And Billy Graham went on to preach the good news of God's love to nearly 215 million people. Isn't it amazing? 215 million people because he came to the conclusion by faith that God's word was true, that God's word was essential. He preached in over 185 countries. He reached millions more through television, video, and film. Charles Templeton returned to Canada became a novelist and an atheist. Today we find ourselves in a battle for truth within our culture, within our world, and even within the church. What is true? What is the source of truth? I believe, like Billy Graham, the truth is essential in the battle for our souls, in the battle for the souls of the world, it's about truth. Now, last week I declared that Jesus is first over everything and that as marvelous as the creation is, as we watch that eclipse and as you look at creation, we never need to worship the creation over the creator. I love what Psalm 19 declares, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. Amen? The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. 
They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. There's no question that the truth of God has been revealed in the works of God. But also this, truth is revealed by the word and not by the world. Truth is revealed by the word and not by the world. We live in a world that believes are making all kinds of truth claims. We believe that truth is found in the word. Psalm 19 goes on to say this, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure. And say this with me, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, and each one is fair. Truth is revealed by the word, not by the world. In John chapter 1, we find these incredible words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And then in verse 14, the word became flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of what? Grace and truth full of grace and truth. It's our core value that truth is essential and the word of God is our source of truth. Or as Billy Graham likes to say, scripture is the source of truth. I can hear him say it, can't you? Scripture is the source of truth. Yet we find ourselves living in a postmodern world. It's a world that many of us don't understand. It's a, it's a world that's even been described as a post-Christian world, a world that no longer believes that truth is found in Scripture, a world that believes in something we call relative truth, truth that is dependent upon something else or someone else. Relative truth is truth that we create. And in this postmodern world, in this post-Christian world, truth finds many sources for some, they find it in religion, some find it in science, some find it in opinion, and some even find truth in feelings. Now, there's nothing wrong with science. Science is a great thing. We wouldn't be here today without science. Opinion is good most of the time. Feelings are wonderful some of the time. But here, here's, the, here's the key to those things. Science, opinions, and feelings are always evolving, and they're always changing. And sometimes they change overnight. And sometimes they change in a minute. Relative truth. And people today believe that if something is true for you, it must be true. And for many, truth is based on an appetite. The new norm is if a person wants something bad enough, that becomes their right. And that becomes true for them. Now, so relative truth believes that there are many truths, and, and the Bible could be a truth, but not the truth. And we believe as Christians, as Christ followers, that the Bible is the source of truth. And here's a scary thing for you and I to know. And it may explain, help us understand why all the craziness is going on in our world today. Did you know that nearly three out of four Americans say there is no such thing as absolute truth? 
Three out of four Americans say there is no such thing as absolute truth. Last year, the 2016 word of the year from Oxford Dictionary is this, post-truth. Post-truth. In an article in The Economist, the definition was post-truth is where truth is of secondary importance. And we wonder why the world is growing crazy. He goes on to say, lies, rumors, and gossip spread with alarming speed. Sound familiar? The world we live in? A world of post-truth, post-Christian, post-modern? We as a culture have lost our sense of right and wrong because we've lost our sense of absolute truth. Let me try to give you an example. I love chocolate. I could eat chocolate all day long. I've even convinced myself that dark chocolate is good for me. <laughs> if you go to my cabinet, I've got a stack of dark chocolate bars. But the truth is, according to my doctor, all that sugar is not good for me. And according to my urologist, dark chocolate's not good for my kidneys. No matter how I feel about it, no matter what I think about it, no matter what I say about it, a diet of chocolate is bad for me and probably for you too. I believe that Scripture, God's Word, confronts us with what's wrong in our lives. It affirms what's right and, and confronts what is wrong, corrects us and teaches us to do what is right. So at Mount Horeb, a core value of this ministry, of this church, is we believe there is absolute truth. Absolute truth that does not depend on anything else. And the source of that truth is revealed in God's Word through the Scriptures. Now, you and I are changing, are we not? You and I are growing. We should be growing in Christ. Our understanding of truth will change, but the truth never changes. And the truth of God's words is our lens for reality. It never changes. It's how we view the world. It's how we live in the world. It's how we face storms. It's how we face death, because we believe that truth doesn't change. Life changes. People change, but truth does not change. 2 Timothy 3.16 that David read for you, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now, I'm not suggesting that's easy. That's very challenging if we take these words to heart because none of us like to be told we're wrong. And we live in a world where everything is right. But according to Scripture, there are some things that are wrong that we need to be confronted with by the truth. Now, John Wesley, the founder of this Methodist movement, was a great reader. He was a prolific writer, but he expressed more than one time that he was a man of one book. And that book was the Bible. He learned and lived what Billy Graham experienced in 1949. He put his faith in this book. He began a movement based on this book, the Bible. Now, Albert Outler, a, a theologian at Perkins Seminary years ago, came up with something called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And later on, uh, Outler said he regretted putting this in print. But the premise makes sense, that Wesley believed that the living core of the Christian faith was revealed in Scripture. 
illumined by tradition, vified in personal experience, and confirmed by reason. So as Methodists, historically, we've believed that Scripture is primary. It is the core of what we believe. We also develop doctrine and theology based on tradition, what's happened over the last 2,000 years of Christianity, experience, what we feel, and also our reason. We don't check our brain at the door. We use our brain. God gave us a brain. We study things. We learn things. But the challenge in this postmodern world and this post-Christian world is that people within the church have sought to elevate tradition, experience, and reason as equal to Scripture on the same playing field, and that's where we get into problems. We look at Scripture and say, well, you know, I don't feel like that is correct. I don't believe that's all right. Or I don't think that's correct. Or the tradition has been wrong through the years. And we got to correct Scripture. I believe that Scripture is primary. And as I preach in ministry, as I teach in ministry, I will teach that Scripture is primary. Truth is essential, and that truth is based on Scripture. The second thing I would say to you today, truth is revealed in a person, not a principle. Not a principle, but a person. Jesus said some very bold words. These are his words, quoting from Jesus. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, that's a very strong and bold statement in a world which believes there are many ways to get to God. Jesus said, I am the way. Not my words, Jesus' words. Jesus didn't say, I, I, I prefer you find the truth. I'm going to point you to the truth. I am a prophet for the truth. No, he said, I am the truth. Not one of many truths, not one of many ways, but the truth. That's not a very popular thing in our world today. It doesn't mean that we sit in judgment of people who don't believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But we don't compromise our belief on that. We stand on truth as essential as found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, said this in, later in John 8. Jesus said to the people who believed in him. Again, if you're here today, uh, many of you believe in Jesus. This is what he said to the people who believed in him. You are truly my disciples if you remain what? Faithful to my teachings. It's a key word there. Faithful to my teachings. And you will what? Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. There are people that come here every weekend wanting to be set free. Something is controlling their life, a person, a situation, a substance, and they want to be free. But oftentimes they leave here frustrated and sad and disappointed because they don't want to face the truth. It's not easy to face the truth. What does real freedom look like? You know, we sometimes think that freedom is the ability to do whatever you want to do. Is that freedom? <laughs> the ability to do whatever you want to do? How many of us thought, like, I mean, I ran away from home when I was 12 because I wanted to be free. I got my bicycle uh, and my two silver dollars and I ran away from home. And I made some 
uh, little store clerk really happy when I, <laughs> when I had a flat tire and had to buy a new bicycle tire on my silver dollar. It was a 1905 silver dollar. I remember it. Uh, oh, Lord, it's sitting in somebody's box right now. The, the kid that ran away from home who, who wanted to be free. Uh, I love this definition of biblical freedom. Biblical freedom is the ability to function the way God designed you to function. That's freedom. When you can function and live the way that God made you to live. That's freedom. When I was 14, I became a believer in Jesus. And I realized early on that as a believer in Jesus, there were some things that I couldn't do. There were some things that I needed to start doing because I was now a believer in Jesus. But his word says that the truth will make you free. I believe and I know from wisdom and experience and from scripture that real freedom is never free, that all freedom has constraints. My sister Yvonne, who is a year older than I am, uh, at the age of 15, I became a Christian at 14, at the age of 15, she ran away from home and wanted to be free, wanted to find her freedom. It wasn't long that she became pregnant. She, after that, she became pregnant a second time, then became addicted to drugs. Both children were removed from her, and today she's still addicted to drugs. She was looking for freedom and found bondage and found a prison that hasn't yet set her free yet. By the grace of God, by the grace of God, I found freedom from a world of destruction and chaos. And so can you today. Freedom is never really free. Some of you who uh, can remember when you were first married can relate to this story. Several of you, several after the earlier services <laughs> shared their story. I never forget when Lynn and I were married, we went to college, my last semester in college at Moorhead State. It was cold, cold, cold. We were living in a single wide trailer. There was at least 10 inches of snow on the ground. My wife was not a happy camper. She was missing home, she was cold. And I never forget that after class one day, I decided that I would stop and play basketball for a couple hours. <laughs> this is prior to cell phones and beepers and things like that. And I never forget when I got home, Lynn said, where have you been? <laughs> well, I just stopped and played some basketball. That didn't go over real well. Uh, and uh, Lynn let me know that um, she wasn't going to stay in that trailer cold alone. She would stay there with me, but not alone and cold. And uh, we, we had a coming to, uh, had a conversation. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and she was right because I now had, now had obligations and I could not do what I wanted to do anymore all the time. Or she would, had made a decision not to do what she wanted to do all the time anymore because we made a commitment to God and to each other. And now as we get ready to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary uh, this, this, this December, if, if it so pleases God, we are truly free. And the most free in relationship that, uh, that I've ever had in my life. Uh, and, 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 but, it, but it comes with some constraint. Now, don't you know Paul said that in Corinthians chapter 6? You say, I'm allowed to do anything. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but read that next phrase. But not everything is good for you. How many of you know that's true? But not everything is good for you. You can do whatever you want to do, but not everything is good for you. 
And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Now, this morning, hear this. If you are in bondage or if you're struggling with being free, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free, but it may make you miserable because it's going to reveal to you and expose some things that go to motives and faults and things that need to change. But real maturity is when we choose to do what is right and what is true, even when we don't feel like it. That's maturity, is it not? When we choose to do what is right and what is true, even when we don't feel like it. But when you live in a world where truth is based on feelings, it's hard to get that right. I love the work that Susan and Scotty are doing through the Courage Center. They're exposing the darkness with light. Light is another word for truth in the Bible. And Jesus has called us to be a light in the midst of darkness. And certainly they've come alongside families who are in the darkness of opiate addiction. And they're sharing that the truth will set people free. And I love what Susan said. She quoted, A.A., you're only as sick as your secrets. And all across this room today, we're battling secrets. And as long as we hold on to secrets, we're never going to be free. That's why we come to God and confess our secrets and confess our sins. And we really start to get healthy and well is when we confess our secrets to others, people that we trust, people that will love us unconditionally, and we begin to set free. The next thing I want to say to you this morning, truth is revealed through relationship, not a religion. It's revealed through a relationship, not a religion. Say this with me. Jesus came, say it with me. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. We need to hear that this morning. You know, Jesus told people the truth. He spoke the truth in some harsh ways to people. But people kept being around him. They, they wanted to hang out with Jesus, even though he told them the truth. How many of you have told people the truth sometimes and they don't want to have anything else to do with you, right? You tell them the truth and I'm, I'm done with that person. What, what was different about Jesus? What was different about Jesus was this, is the people that Jesus told the truth to, they knew that he had their best interests at heart, that he cared about them that he loved them. So there needs to be a balance. He never compromised the truth for grace. He told people the truth, but he shared it with grace. Truth and grace are essential. So in this postmodern world, in a world where anything goes, how do we reach people with truth and grace? And I'm trying to do that. I don't understand some of the world that we live in. Anybody have a problem with some of the world we live in? I don't understand some of the world. I've watched uh, literally in the last two or three weeks, getting ready for this message, I've watched many, many YouTube videos, interviews with younger folks that believe anything goes, that believes truth is, is totally um, uh, relevant, that they believe that they can do whatever they want to do and, and it's okay. I want to understand how they think. So, so how do we reach people like that? I think we've got to follow the example of Jesus. And I want to give you some suggestions, things that I've come to personally that I'm going to try to really work on. 
is number one, I got to listen. We got to listen to their story. Even though we may not agree with their story, (laughs) even though I don't get their story, I got to listen to their story. See, Jesus listened to people's story. He listened to their story. He, He knew what was going on in their life. He asked great questions without condemning them. We sometimes ask questions that are condemning of people, don't we? You mean you believe what? <laughs> Doesn't go very, well, very far in building a relationship, right? Listen to their story, ask questions. Number two, care about them as individuals. You know, as Christians, we're called to love people unconditionally, not with conditions, unconditionally. Try to understand their world. There's a world out there that I don't understand. I, I confess that. And as soon as we admit that, we're going to be more effective in reaching people with truth and grace. And then don't forget to offer them Jesus. I believe people in the world are wanting to experience something. They may not know what they want to experience, but they're wanting to experience something. And so let's help them experience the greatest, have the greatest experience they can have, and that is meet the creator of the world. To meet the almighty God who created us to know him and be in relationship with him. And here's a key. Don't invite them into a religion about God, but invite them into a real relationship with God. See, religion turns people off, but a relationship with God through Jesus turns them on. And one of the ways you do that is you've got to be living in a real relationship with Jesus yourself. And if you're being a religious person, you're never going to reach anybody about a real relationship with Jesus. That's what truth is. You know, most of us, many of us, feel great to win a debate, feel great when we make our point. But Jesus never called us to be debaters. He never called us to win arguments. He called us to win people, to make disciples of people. Now, it's a good thing to defend the truth. I'm here defending truth this morning. The truth is found in Scripture that I believe is God's Word for us. But also we're called to reach people with grace and truth and extend them the love of God. So this morning as I close, how can truth be essential in this church? And how can truth be essential in your life? I believe that the Bible is our best source of truth today. Not the culture, not the world, not Hollywood, not Washington, not Columbia, not the latest craze, not the latest fad. I believe that truth is essential as found in the Word of God. How can we make that known? Let me give you these in closing. One, we got to know the truth. (laughs) you got to know the truth. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. you got to read the words of Jesus. Historically, Methodists have been known for their kindness and their compassion and not much for their biblical understanding. It is is sometimes embarrassing how illiterate, biblically illiterate Methodist people are. We need to get into the Bible and know the Bible. We need to learn the Bible. We need to read the Bible because it's the source of truth. Now, you may have questions about the Bible. You may have doubts about the Bible. That's understandable. Maybe you need to pray the prayer that Billy Graham prayed. Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and my intellectual doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. There at some point, there has to be a step of faith to really experience freedom that God wants to give you. Then I would ask you to trust the truth. Trust it. 
Jesus said, the wise man is the person who builds their house on the rock. The wise man is the person who hears my words and puts them into practice. And, 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 and when the storms come, the hurricanes come, all that devastation comes, that house will not fall, that life will not fall because it is built on the rock. It is built on putting my words into practice. So trust the truth. Then thirdly, walk the truth. You know, knowing the truth is wonderful. And I would say some of you know the truth really well. But knowing it is not enough. God expects you to act on the truth, walk in the truth. You know, when we don't walk the walk, our witness becomes irrelevant. And it, if something, you know what, what turns people away from the church? is when we talk about something we don't walk. And people see us all over the place, right? And they're going, I thought, I thought, hmm. Who knew? See, if we're going to be effective in reaching a lost world, we, we've got to be more consistent in our walk. It's got to jive with our talk. Sound like a song out of the 70s. But anyway. And then finally, I would say, you've got to share the truth. You've got to share the truth. If there's anything our crazy world needs, it's more truth. You know, we want to tell people that they're okay. You're all right. I'm okay, you're okay. Bishop Will Williman once said that Methodists think, since God is nice, we got to be nice too. <laughs> and too often we're more concerned about cultural acceptance or cultural credibility than we are about people. Aren't you glad God wasn't concerned about cultural credibility? For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only son who was crucified and nailed on a cross so that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Every one of the disciples was martyred for their faith because they loved people that much. They were willing to go out on a limb for people because the truth mattered. It's been said that God loves us the way we are, no question, right? God loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And all of us in this room are a work in progress. There is not one perfect person in this room. And if you think you are, I'm sorry to disappoint you. We're all of us. Are, aren't you glad God's not done with any of us in this room? We need to love people enough to share the truth in grace. I believe Mount Horeb needs to be a city on a hill. A place where people's lives are being radically changed by the grace of God. What brings credibility to the church is when people's lives are being radically changed. Did you know so-and-so? Their life is totally different. Why? Because they met Jesus. They read the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit changed them. In closing this morning, I want you to know that the future of Mount Horb is never about maintaining a ministry. But the future of Mount Horb is making a difference in ministry, making a difference in the lives of people who need to know the truth so they can be set free. About 60 years ago, Jim Elliott and five other missionaries were killed as they shared the truth of Jesus in Ecuador, bringing hope and bringing help to the people who lived there. They were, they were slaughtered. But before his death, Jim Elliott perfectly described our current dilemma when he wrote these words. He says, we as Christians are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace, 
While we profess, we know the power of the one who can change lives that the world cannot even reckon with. We're harmless. Therefore, we're unharmed. We are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors to this battle between death and principalities and powers. See, folks, we're in a battle for truth in our culture, in our world. And many of us are pacifists. Many of us are sitting on the sidelines. And we're in a battle with principalities and powers. I'm so glad that Billy Graham chose to get into the battle, aren't you? He goes on to say the world cannot hate us because we're too much like the world. The world can't hate us because we're too much like the world. And he closes with this statement, oh, that God would make us more dangerous. See, Billy Graham became dangerous to principalities and powers. John Wesley became dangerous to principalities and powers. You need to become dangerous to principalities and powers. Greater is he that is in you, Jesus, than he that is in the world. I want to be a part of a movement that is not scared to stand up for the truth. With grace, with love, with mercy, in relationship with people. And I forget, one of my, Jack, if you'll come, we're going to close in just a second. I, I remember um, I was in a little Baptist church uh, for a season when I was a teenager and I had a Baptist pastor who ended up marrying Lynn and I uh, many years ago. And Jim was, uh, I truly, I think, was a Methodist at heart, but he never, never got there. But uh, he always stayed a Baptist preacher. But I never forget what he said. He says, Jeff, he says, this little church I'm serving here, you know, has kind of got some ways that, you know, are old-fashioned and very, uh, you know, kind of, we need to change some things. And there were a few things, very, you know, kind of set in our ways and all that. And he said to me, he says, Jeff, he said, you know, you can, uh, I can stand up here where, where I am and yell at them and argue with them and tell them to come be where they should be, or else I can go where they are, take them by the hand and walk them where they need to be. And I probably learned more from that statement on how to grow a church than anything I learned in seminary. You see, it's about loving people enough to walk with them as God brings a change in their life. It's not about yelling at them, arguing with them, debating with them. It's about loving them with the truth and with grace. Father God, I thank you for grace, amazing grace that makes it possible for us even to be here today. I thank you for the truth that set me free when I was 14 years old. I pray for my sister who is still searching for truth and still searching for freedom. Lord, I pray for that person here today who is searching for freedom. And even though they may have doubts and may, they not, may, may not understand everything, may they step out in faith and trust your word. And Lord, I pray that you would set them free to be the man, the woman, the young person you called them to be. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.